Welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network, coming to you from the TeacherCast studios since 2011. Join us each week as we bring you the latest educational news, ed tech updates, and hottest interviews with today's most influential leaders in education. And now, for your host, Jeff Bradbury. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. This is TeacherCast podcast episode number 234. And I got to ask the question here off the top of my head. Do you know a teacher who's thinking about leaving the profession? Do you know a teacher who's new to the profession and is kind of asking, is this right for me? Perhaps you're an instructional coach and you walk into a classroom and you realize that that teacher is just burned out or maybe hasn't shown up for work in a couple days. Today, we're going to tackle the topic of teacher retention, helping to support teachers, finding the right professional development, helping them deal with all of the things that have to happen and all those things that, you know, we as veteran teachers take for granted when we walk into the classroom things like classroom management working with teachers working with students making sure that they're academically socially emotionally all prepared for things today is such a great topic i have a fantastic educator who's here from the great state of nebraska to talk about what her district is doing and what you guys can do to support your teachers this year Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you guys have a chance to check this out. Of course, as we are here in the brand new year, there's a lot of great things over on TeacherCast. If you're an instructional coach, there's a lot of great things over at AskTheTechCoach.com. Our instructional coaches network is going well. We got a lot of great things happening over at EducationalPodcasting.com. So if you're looking to bring audio and video into the classroom, you can head on over to TeacherCast.net and find a lot of great resources. And of course, hope you guys have a chance to check out our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter at teacher cast wherever you go my guest today is a special education teacher at middle school and she's also the 2022 california casualty teaching excellence award winner i want to bring on today miss jennifer yoder jennifer how are you today i'm well thank you I am so excited to have you on. And, you know, we've been talking a little bit before the recording started about teacher retention, about professional development, helping teachers get situated after they're in their new districts. You know, I got to tell you, after being in the professional development world for the last many years and having the opportunity for the last three or four years of, of teaching orientation every single week, this is a very critical topic helping teachers stay in the classrooms, helping new teachers come into the classrooms. And, and once you have them, how do you play that coach slash, dare I say, therapist world? I have a lot of teachers of you know many school districts that are like, I want to move. I want to see what's out there. What do you do? Um, before we get into all those topics, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, the 20, 2022 California Casualty Teaching Excellence Award winner, who is Jennifer Yoder? Um, I just um, started my 34th year of teaching. Um, my um, All of my doctoral work was in the area of behavior, and so I did that for about 25 years. Um, and I've now decided to go on and use a degree I've never used before, and we're redesigning the um, life skills program, which is so fun and exciting. They're just amazing, amazing little souls to work with. But um, 
15 of those years, I was an adjunct professor at three different universities in town um, and worked a lot with um, pre-service teachers to get them ready. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of my doctoral work um, looked at um, attrition, which has been a horrific thing for several years now. Um, About 50% of teachers that graduate to become teachers quit within the first five years and leave the profession altogether. And we know that statistic has been the same since early 2000s. Um, so a lot of that work went into um, some of those variables that that caused that. Um, one of them was classroom management, which is not addressed in pre-service programs very well. Um, another one is building a network once they get into their first jobs um, so that they have a support system. Um, so I know that... Um, even up to this year, you know, we've we've placed student teachers and they've graduated and they go on to their first job and then they still quit within the first five years. It's just stressful. And it's then when you add COVID on top of all of that, um, it just kind of made for a perfect storm. You, you know, you mentioned a lot of those things that as an instructional coach, these are always on my mind. And I've had an opportunity to work not only, you know, in, in my district, of course, but in other districts and, and teachers right now are still stressed. Coaches are stressed. I think coaches are stressed for those teachers. Um, I've had many teachers through online, through Twitter, through whatever, uh, reach out and ask those questions about, you know, hey, can you look at my resume? I mean, all of these things come down, but let's kind of break down some of these things. I mean, classroom management issues is a big deal. Um, Students, I think we all forget, you know, fifth graders are still kind of like second and third graders these days. Um, Your graduating seniors are like freshmen in many ways. how do we help with classroom management issues as instructional coaches, as teachers, as supporters? Um, so what I have noticed with working with pre-service teachers is, um, you know, I have a, a master's degree in behavior and I still, it's just something that evolves and you learn about kids and you learn about how to, um, fulfill their basic needs. If we want to talk about Maslow, I mean, you know, we, we have to make sure that their needs are met before we can teach them. And so, you know, I, we throw strategies at, at them because they're only required to take a three credit hour class in special education. If they're a regular ed, um, uh, graduate, which I think is ridiculous. Um, and I've worked with a couple of universities to try to get that up to, um, you know, nine or 12 credits at least. Um, but, um, you know, we put these student teachers in the middle of these classrooms and we have kids that are traumatized by COVID or we have kids that are living in poverty and not all kids who live in poverty are traumatized, but we know that the incidences of that are higher, um, when we talk about low SES levels. And so, um, you know, when, when we try to have student teachers understand or teachers understand that in order to really mitigate problematic behavior, they have to look at the kid holistically and they have to understand academically, are they struggling or, you know, what exactly is that behavior communicating? And that's kind of a foreign subject. Um, You know, they don't typically think of behavior as communication, but that's exactly what it is. So, you know, it's kind of a decoding 
um, exercise to try to figure out what it is that the kids um, are needing and what they can supply. So, and, 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 and as far as training the teachers, I mean, you had mentioned that you only go through one class of this as a new teacher. Some teachers have been doing this for, you know, 20, 30 years. And obviously, PD has changed, science has changed, what we know about students has changed. And, you know, there are some teachers who this is the way I do things. But how can we help support our teachers who are struggling with all of this stuff? You know, even as an instructional coach, um, I'm working with teachers who are dealing with a student who is speaking one of 65 different languages that we support on top of if somebody, let's say, is speaking, you know, a, a, a language and, and they're not, you know, it's not one of the biggies. I don't want to say this the wrong way, but, you know, isn't isn't French, English, German, Spanish, right? Um, my district, we have a lot of people from Ukraine. Obviously, these students are coming over and they are right out of the field. How do we help our teachers support that while also being under the pressure of meeting the standards, meeting the needs the 700 other things that are put on us. And oh, by the way, we have PPT meetings and, and special ed things. Help us here. <laughs> well, one thing that I'm really happy about is over the last five, six, seven years, um, our district, and, and I know that this is starting to evolve around different um, districts around the country, but our district started to recognize that we needed to get our head around um, behavior if we're going to retain teachers. And so, um, well, maybe it would spend even longer than that, probably 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, so we started to look at, um, supports that we can provide for kids in classrooms, whether you're regular ed or special ed, uh, teachers. Um, and so they're kind of grouped in, in tiers one, two, and three, and that's become kind of a standardized language, a standardized way of looking at kids. It's in a pyramid. So if you think about um, the bottom of the pyramid um, would be tier one supports. They're supports that we, um, that we give any kid. You know, um, if they need additional practice in math, we provide additional practice. Or if they need a break, we let them get up and kind of walk around the room or that kind of thing. It's something we provide for any kid. Tier two um, is a little bit more support. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be in special education. They can be. Um, but, you know, this might be um, a pass to go and see a counselor if they need to see a counselor or, you know, something like that. Tier three are special ed um, kids. Typically, they're the top three percent of kids that um, have needs that are um, more than what um, oftentimes can be provided in a regular classroom. So this is where a special ed teacher or somebody would come in and, um, or a therapist or something and come in and provide a support for a kid that needs that level of support. So, you know, that actually has taken some of the, um, the load off of, of regular ed teachers, brand new teachers, because, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's not standardized, but there's a framework that we can work with kids and it gives them tools, um, you know, that are already established and supported by the administration. Um, and oftentimes, you know, the um, it's called MTSB in our class, in our uh, district. But, um, you know, if the kids are really needing active, intensive support in behavior, 
then there's typically a team in the school that will get together and they talk about these kids and they talk about what can we do to provide supports for kids and you know whatever. There's also an academic team. So if kids are really struggling academically, doesn't necessarily mean we automatically test them for special ed, but we can provide some different supports for them um, that might help them over the hump and get them through, you know, and um, and help them out that way. But you know, it's been really, really good for brand new teachers because they it's not on them to come up with all of this. You know, there's a there's a team that can support them, which, you know, according to our literature is one of those variables that we need to supply for them. Talking a little bit about teacher retention, other things that are keeping the teachers in. I mean, it's not uncommon to think that if a teacher realizes that they have maybe an hour long drive, there's got to be positions open up in the school districts that's local to them. Why not put my head out there and look? I mean, um, you, you know, how many fourth grade teacher positions are open if, in a five mile radius from their house, especially if you are somebody who's, you know, maybe got that first teaching job an hour, hour and a half away. Um, should we be encouraging teachers to do that? I mean, if uh, you know, if, if teacher retention, you know, is, is all about making sure that you're safe, your family's safe and, and well-being being and stuff like that. Should we be encouraged, encouraging our teachers to look for places closer to their house if that's going to make them happy professionally? I would think so. And I would be really surprised with the level. I mean, last year we had 26 teachers from my building quit or move on, you know, so those, those opportunities are available out there, you know, we're kind of a commodity now because they're just, there aren't the teachers in the programs in the universities to, to fill the positions that are open, you know, and that's a real problem in our district. Um, don't even get me started about substitute shortage, but, um, you know, the, go there soon. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> um, you know, but we, I, I'm very, very worried about our ability as a nation to put people in those positions, especially the siloed positions, the specialist positions like special education, um, speech and language, some of those that are attritioning out and we just don't have the people to put in those positions. So I, I would, I would caution us to think about, um, you know, putting a box around those teachers, you know, they, they should go and market themselves to whatever district they want to be in, because it's likely there'll be a position open for them. Well, how, how do we do that? Right. You know, I, again, going back to the fact that every week I'm working with teachers who are on, um, you know, first day orientation. And I always have my first question be, you know, why are you here? And I don't mean that as to, to pry into their business, but there are teachers that are, Hey, I, you know, this is closer to my house. Um, there's teachers where this is a better pay good for you. Um, there's teachers where it's, you know, I want this to be a stepping stone to something else. I've got teachers who, you know, they're, they're in their fifties. This is their first teaching gig. They're coming out of corporate or maybe they lost their job in corporate and they're, they're making this start. But I do see a lot of teachers that are in that still that long-term sub. And a long-term sub could be three weeks and it could be six months. But whenever I see somebody who's got a long-term sub, I always work with them and say, you know, everything you do in the classroom has to be designed as an interview tool 
because if you're mm-hmm. a long-term sub, you know, you're going to have another interview, right? Mm-hmm. So everything, you know, how, how can I, as a coach, help you to create lessons that you can stick on a website or have a link to, or put a portfolio together. So that way your next job isn't necessarily that finite substitute thing, but can get you as a long-term full-time position, whether it be in our district or someplace else. How do we support teachers who are looking for jobs? I mean, you just mentioned, you know, building a brand and and having all that stuff. But if you are a teacher looking for something different, what should you be doing to give yourself that advantage? Because there's many teachers looking for that same fourth grade position. Um, Two years of my um, experience was the director of special education at a local university here in Lincoln. Um, And we did just that. We worked with pre-service teachers to um, come up with ways to market themselves. And what I liked about that program was very progressive. And we started in as they, when they were freshmen um, and having them put together a portfolio. I mean, put together things that they have, you know, they've been able to do during their, their, um, learning time, their pre- pre-service learning time, um, to market themselves. And when I did that, it was, it's been several years ago. And so we didn't have the shortages we have now, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's not, there's not, unless, you know, they had poor, um, appraisals, there's not going to be that situation where they're going to struggle to get a position right now, you know, so it's not as, um, emergent that we do that, but, um, but, you know, I would encourage them to put together and um, have videos. And so we had the we had the students do a lot of videos, too. But you're right. I mean, they you know, depending on where we are in the nation, uh, where they are in the nation, you know, I can only speak to where we are here in the Midwest. Um, but, you know, if you're seeing shortages or if you're seeing um situations where there are several applicants for the same position where you are, you know, that's, that's a little bit different. And so that conversation would be a little bit different, you know, here, um, you know, we still want to teach them how to market themselves and we still want to teach them um, how to put their best foot forward and how to do that. Um, And they're all pretty um, internet savvy and they're pretty tech savvy, you know, so that was a, that was an easy thing to do and to forward that onto the principal of, um, the building where they want to be, um, you know, where they've been invited to interview, um, has been a really important tool them to do. So as an instructional coach, I often get asked the question about, you know, ed tech badges and things like that. You know, somebody might come up and say, Hey, do I need to become Google level one certified? And you know, that kind of a, a realm. And, and usually my answer is no, no, you don't. If you, if you're planning to be a fourth grade teacher forever, no reason to, but if you have aspirations to go and look at another district, then absolutely go for mm-hmm. it. It's take the test, get the badge, you know, go play with Nearpie, whatever it happens to be. Those are the things that you should be putting on your resume to then go out. Um, as somebody who's been both, you know, in, in all these different positions for yourself, what are your recommendations for teachers that say, how do I get that resume at the top of the stack rather than somewhere in the middle? What we have found is um, that it's not necessary for them to, um, you know, have advanced, advanced certificates in, you know, that kind of thing. 
what our principals are typically looking for are um, can they deliver instruction in an effective way? Um, can they engage students in an effective way? Can they manage student behavior in an effective way? Mm-hmm. That's what they're looking at more than the tech stuff. It just so happens that, um, you know, this um, generation of students grew up with that. And so it's just who they are. They're just, you know, and I say that in a general fashion, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, they they happen to be very good at that. Um, I know that the last several years of student teachers that I've had come through my classroom. Um, I've heard from that because they're just good at it. And, you know, they've taught me different things too, but it's not, you know, and I'm in on a lot of the interviews of this, the prospective candidates, and it's not a question that typically gets asked, honestly. You, you mentioned a couple of times that you work with pre-service teachers, which is, something I also have a passion for. And even though I've never had an opportunity um, to actually have a student teacher, every time there is a student teacher around or in the building, I always try to gravitate and can I help you out? Can I, can I check out something? Can I help you build a resume portfolio? You know, I, I love doing those types of things. Um, unfair question here, but are we best preparing our pre-service teachers for the classroom? Are there things that we can be doing better overall? Are there skills that you're finding that first-year teachers just might not have? Um, unfortunately, still behavior. You know, dealing with aberrant behavior is just in and of itself incredibly difficult. There's, It's very, very complex in a lot of ways, the way that you um, work with that. So mm-hmm. I know that that's been a problem. Um, but... One thing that I work on when they come to my building is I already teach them or I teach them how to how to develop a network mm-hmm. and get to know teachers that are are not in my immediate area. Um, I had a student teacher about four years ago um, that came highly recommended. He was amazing, amazing teacher. Um, and what I realized I had him a pract- I had him for a practicum and then, immediately in January had him replaced with me as a student teacher, which is not usually how they do that. But, um, and I noticed right away that he, um, had some really good raw talent area behavior. And so, um, you know, he didn't really need a lot of practice with setting up a lesson plan and all of that kind of stuff. He was very proficient in doing that. So I connected him with our student success um, center, um, the behavior room, Mm-hmm. and hooked him up with the teacher that was there um, just to give him some specialized um, experience in that area. And he ended up getting hired in that position in my building and did a great job. Um, interestingly, I talked to him at a training um, last week and he's leaving teaching mm-hmm. to go um, work with, it's a, in an online company, but it's something with tech. And it's just, you know, that kind of thing just makes me so sad, so sad because he was such a bright um, teacher. I mean, just amazing, amazing with the kids and the relationships that he developed with kids was just amazing. And, you know, unfortunately, that's been the trend. Um, I I hear that. And, you know, things like classroom management, those are skills that, yes, you can address it, I think, in, in college. 
But those are things that I think every teacher has to pick up over time and you pick up by failing and you pick up by your, you know, it's like being a parent, right? Like every year is different. I don't know right now if colleges are training pre-service teachers to handle kids who are three years beyond or three years behind the eight ball and stuff like that. I mean, and, and you know, two things are happening. Number one, at least I know for myself, I mean, we, we had six weeks in a, in a class and then we had six weeks in another class you don't get a lot of classroom management out of that. But at the same time, there's a lot of these programs that are like, okay, once you get to a certain point, just start substitute teaching because we're trying to get kids to go from college into the jobs because we need the jobs. How do we support all of this stuff? Now, I, I just want to bring up something that you mentioned. You, you mentioned building a network. Do you mean connecting those teachers with others in the building? Or is that the... Hey, go find your Facebook tribe and go find your Twitter hashtag. When you say network, what does that mean to you? I think, um, to your point, I think that the most valuable thing we can do is connect those teachers. I mean, you know, early teachers with other teachers in the building. Um, because you're right. They learn by, they learn by doing, and they learn by watching, and I think that that it's really, really important for them to get exposure to different um, different teachers teaching, you know, because it's not always the same in every classroom, obviously. Um, but also, you know, being able to build a network with teachers that are in the field, A, so that they can have a support system, but B, you know, maybe they can use them as a reference if they want to move on to a different grade level or, a you know, within the building or even, mm -hmm. even within one of the buildings in our debt in the um, district. Do, do you see but, network and mentor being the same thing or do you see that different? I mean, I remember, you know, in New Jersey, you had to have a mentor and I thought that was great, but I hated the fact I had to pay them like two grand or something, you know, whatever that number was. Um, and then I felt like suddenly like I'm, you know, I'm stuck with this person that the district made me be with and I have to pay them to, you know, it's one of those friendship, but there was a money transfer. That's just the way that New Jersey was set up. Um, how how do you define that term, you know, that that network? Is it go talk to the other science teachers? Go talk to the other fifth grade teachers? What what would make a, a, a network successful, do you think, for a teacher? Well, okay, first of all, we have mentors in Nebraska, but we don't, there's no money transfer. <laughs> it seems like that would kind of defeat the purpose of the... Uh, Mentorship, but anyway, we had. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, when I, when I set that up for, um, for student teachers, I'm the one that liaises that relationship. So I would introduce them. I would take them in. We would have a, a conversation prior to them going in about expectations of them being in there and what they hope to get out of that. Um, obviously it needs to be okay with the, the regular classroom teacher that, you know, is in that room. Um, so it's kind of a partnership, but, you know, if I see that they are, um, you know, they're doing a great job, just like that one student teacher, there's no reason for them to continue to just stay in my room and do their thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, um, again, I building a system or building a network for them, whether that's just in one building or in several buildings is incredibly important. That's what our research tells us to, to teacher retention. And so I think starting that as their student teachers or first or second year teachers, um, is incredibly important. 
um, one thing that I, I had a teacher when I first started teaching, um, who kind of was that person. She, um, she kind of took me under her wing and she, um, you know, taught me about the systems of the school. I think that that's something too, that, you know, that you have to learn is how, what are the systems of the school? What if a kid really can't make it in the classroom, then what do I do? You know, what, what are those systems? Um, but the one thing that she told me that I've always held dear is she said, you're going to want to vent. You're going to have some emotion to this. And, um, I'm just going to caution you that not everybody has your best interests at heart. So please don't go vent to just anyone. And that was probably the best advice I ever had. Um, but you know, the fact that she was able to take the time and give me that support, I think meant everything to the longevity of my career. So I think if we can help, um, student teachers or early, um, novice teachers do that, I think that that's incredibly important. Now I will say there's a little plug for my union, um, that the union has really developed a nice novice teacher of, um, organ part or committee or organization or whatever within the union, um, that supports them if they're, if they're members of the union and that's kind of the catch there. But, um, you know, I think that, um, the unions are on board now, if the districts can also uh, manage to be on board with that and, and provide extra supports to those teachers so that they're not just on their own. I think that's where we're going to see some retention happen. Uh, just going back to what you just mentioned, you know, not everybody has your best interest. If you're a first year teacher and you're grabbing at everything and you, how do you know if somebody has your best interest or how, how do you know if you're, if you're asking the right person, the right questions. Exactly. Unfortunately, you, you know, you find that out the hard way, mm. but my advice to them is always, if you're going to vent, do it to somebody outside of the school, do it to a family member your best friend, something like that. But when you're in a, when you're in the school, always be professional and be careful, you know, about who you're venting to. Cause you don't, you just don't know. And, so, um, you know, and that can be an ugly situation too, that they have to mitigate. So anyway, I, I think that's, that's, that's really good advice of if you have, you know, find that person outside, you know, your spouse, your, your significant, your, your family member, whatever it happens to be, keep the things in house as professional as possible. I, I want to wrap this up with a topic that is very important to me and, you know, especially coming from the instructional coaches side, the professional development side, um, in a previous district that I worked with, I had the opportunity to work with central office and our union to create a, I don't want to say training system, but at least a program for our first and second year staff members where it didn't end at orientation. And, you know, we had that monthly or that quarterly check-in where, okay, we did get all the first year teachers together, all the second year teachers to make sure, because if you're new to the district, there's things that can't get hit, you know, on, on that six hour orientation. I mean, there's, there's things that a teacher shouldn't just have to pick up by osmosis or, or things like that. If a district is looking to put together some kind of an onboarding or a length, you know, multi-year onboarding, what are some of the things you think should be on those menus? Things that a teacher needs to know, but not necessarily on the first day, but, you know, we need them for retention. We need them to know. And this could be 
take all the first year teachers out for a bowling, right? Like, you know, the SEL kind of stuff, but that's just as important as the fire drill speeches. If you were putting together a program to support first and second year teachers, what would it look like? Our district has what's called tenure classes. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm thinking that's probably not an isolated thing to our mm-hmm. district, but um, because I worked with the union for so many years, I, I got, I was privy to some of, the rationale behind some of those classes. And most of them are instructional types of classes. Um, but they did start to add some of the MTSB and, um, the academic, those tier one, two, and three, um, understanding that. Um, and I, I think that that adding that, um, part of that, um, training was incredibly important because like I said, it, it, helps them understand that they're not alone in trying to have, trying to come up with ideas about what to do with certain kids. You know, it does give them a framework and it gives them a support system in terms of a team. And that, um, that is in every single building in our district. Um, and we've got 42 elementary schools. Mm. And so, um, you know, in nine high schools. So, you know, we're, we're a decent size, di- size district and, and to have that kind of framework for them and that kind of support for them, I think is incredibly important. Um, beyond that, I know that they do a lot of, um, years one, two, and three, the probationary years, they do a lot of, um, classes, I'll call them classes with the district, but it helps them connect and creates, create, networking opportunities amongst that population or that demographic of teacher. Um, and I know that, you know, from what I have heard from some of them, that those are some lasting friendships too. So I know that our district's really trying to put some things into place to, um, to help support them that way. And I think that that is incredibly important. Who usually runs that? Is that central office? Is that HR? Is that your union? Who, who, who's in charge of all that stuff? that one is in is our district okay the um the i can't remember they just changed the name of the novice teacher group with our union but that one is our union and that one um i sat on the state board for a while and that's when they started it um and so in the in the um ensuing years it has developed um where it's a pretty large group of novice teachers first first through fifth year teachers that are a part of that group and they go and do fun things together and you know that kind of thing and they there is some professional development through the union that they're able to get if they choose i've done mm-hmm. some of those and just so we're on the same page here i'm assuming tenure for you is four years three three years okay so that's good that that it's being supported out even past that it's not just go up and and thanks i think that's awesome um yeah do you see usually see high retention off of that or do you usually see like more first year teachers than fifth year teachers or do they they're always making sure that everybody's supported well like i said the covid just uh <laughs> destroyed i mean just destroyed a lot there was there's a lot you know it's already a lot of stress for them mm-hmm. in their first three or four years, five years. Um, but then when you put COVID in there and you're trying to do remote or hybrid um, teaching and that kind of thing, it just, you know, we did lose quite a few teachers because of that, novice teachers because of that. So what I'm hoping is, um, knock on wood, that we 
are back in the classroom full time and not um, remote. But um, I'm hoping that that kind of help, uh, corrects itself a little bit. Um, you know, now that now that we're back to traditional teaching, and we don't have all that other stuff. As we look forward to the second half of the year and, you know, over the summertime in here, what kinds of things should school districts be thinking about when it comes to hiring, retention? Um, I mean, this is the time where teachers are going to start to look left and right and figure out where they're going to be in September, let alone switching mid-year. I don't think any teacher wants to switch mid-year. Um, but this is I, – I, I, you can just see it. There's going to be a huge – change over the summertime because of all of this um what should we be thinking about here as teachers as we're as we're looking at this because this is affecting everybody even if you're not moving somebody moving out of their position you might not know you're going into that position um i don't know if this is the same where you are but our letter of intent has to be in by march 15th in our district it's mm -hmm. how they make staffing um, changes and so forth in different buildings. Um, and so you'll see, you'll see the mass exodus around that time, um, which is what we saw last year, 26 of our, our staff members. And we're at about um, 50 some. Mm -hmm. So like half our staff left. Wow. Um, yeah, it was, it's scary. And, you know, think about we're only one building in this district, right? But a lot of it, you know, people jockey around to different buildings, um, you know, which is nice, you know, that we're a large enough district that if you don't like the building you're in, you can just move, <laughs> which is nice. Um, the trick is going to be retaining those, those teachers so that they don't go to emeritus or something like that, which is where one of ours went. Um, you know, so I don't, I don't know. It, it's I don't know different, right? You know, like even, you know, I don't, I used to live in New Jersey and, you know, we have, I don't remember the number 450, some school districts. I mean, you can find another job five minutes away. Um, if you're in one of those, you know, fourth grade positions or something, something where there's many, many of the same type um, myself as a music teacher, it was a little bit harder to find that one orchestra gig or that one coaching gig um, where I am right now. You know, we've got, dozens of schools just like yourself and you do have the opportunity to transfer within the same couple you know square mile radius here i i think it's going to be a, an amazing next couple of months to figure out what's going on and yes you're right you know march is usually where you have to put your notice in doesn't mean that in may june you know you can still put your 30 days in if something you know there's always that first second third wave of things like that it's just it's going to be difficult. And I think if you're listening to this as an instructional coach, our job is to keep working with those new teachers, supporting them, making sure that they are getting what they're needing, making sure that they're on top of things, being that social and emotional support. Um, it's not going to be easy. But if you're in a position where you're out there saying, this is for me, but I'm not quite sure what I'm doing yet, or I need help with that. Please feel free to reach out. I'd love to get you in touch with Jennifer here. This is, of course, uh, TeacherCast podcast episode number 234. Would love to get you in touch with any of our supports here over on TeacherCast. But Jen, let me close here and ask you, if you're looking for help or if you're not quite sure if this is for you, uh, where do you go for resources? What resources do you have available? Um, where can a teacher go to get some help? 
if you actually, I'm, I'm going to play union because if you get on the NEA site, National Education Association, they have thousands of resources for, um, for teachers that are just starting all the way up to somebody who's been there as long as I have. Um, your state unions will also have access to a lot of that. I know in Nebraska, our state union, um, who is run by actually a fellow behavior teacher that I taught with for a long time, um, who's done an amazing job of developing um, classes and supports and so forth for teachers um, and professional development and all sorts of things. Um, there's just, there are lots and lots of resources if you are, um, if you're adventurous enough to look, look at the websites and search them out. The website, of course, is nea.org. Right on the left side, it says professional excellence. You can scroll on down to professional learning or student engagement or look at any of their conferences and events. Or, or one of my favorite sections to look at is leadership development. All of these great resources we're going to make sure are, they're over here on the Teacher Cast show notes for episode number 234. And we do want to say thank you to NEA for connecting Jennifer and I together. This is such an important topic. And Jen, please come back on the show and maybe we can do you know, a longer version of this and maybe we can get a couple first year teachers on here to have these conversations about what are they, you know, where are we? Um, how do we move forward? And, and what can we do to support not just our, our pre-service teachers, but also our first and second year teachers to help them through their, their initial uh, forays into the classrooms. Jen, one more time, I want to say thank you so much for coming on. And again, thank you so much for the NEA for, for connecting with us. If you guys would like to come on the show and talk about this or any topic in the year 2023, we'd love to have you guys head on over to teachercast.net or email us over at feedback at teachercast.net. We would love to have you on and share your stories. And that wraps up this episode of the TeacherCast podcast, episode number 234. And on behalf of Jen and everybody here in the TeacherCast Educational Network, my name is Jeff Bradbury, reminding you guys to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students. You've been listening to the TeacherCast Educational Network, hosted by Jeff Bradbury. Please reach out to the show with all of your questions on Twitter at TeacherCast or online at www.teachercast.net. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And please take a moment to write a review in the App 